Hello, and welcome to the heartbeat of the dance floor. My name is Marcia Stern, and today I will tell you the story behind the creation of the Pines Pavilion. In 2019, I was given the title of Nightlife Historian for a town hall that I moderated for Sirius XM Studio 54 Radio. I wear that hat proudly today as it helped me to define my future during the uncertainty of a pandemic that began the following year. A future that combines my experiences in both music and lighting into what appears to be my third career, this podcast. But I digress, forgive me. Today I'd like to introduce you all to what was a pivotal point in the history of Fire Island Pines. The summer was 1979. It was the summer of Beach 79, the biggest event ever attempted on the beach. It was a benefit for the volunteer fire department so they could purchase much needed vehicles and was hugely successful. To this day, it's heralded as one of the finest events ever held at the beach community. The party also featured the USA debut of disco artist Franz Jolie and her hit record, Come To Me, on Prelude Records. I delve into greater details and backstories about Beach 79 with Scott Bromley, designer and co-creator of the event, in episode 10 of The Heartbeat of the Dance Floor, Remembering Roy Thode. The summer season of 1979 also announced it was to be the last year of the Sandpiper, a beloved restaurant at the harbor, which doubled as the late-night social and dance center of the Pines. Top New York City club and billboard chart-reporting DJs like Richie Rivera, Wayne Scott, and Howard Merritt graced the turntables on the weekends, while weekdays the booth was home to then-fledgling DJ Robbie Leslie. The Sandpiper was listed for sale the summer of 1979, which got a group of my close friends talking about how wonderful it would be to actually be the ones to create the next space that would occupy that piece of real estate at the harbor. Six of them ultimately formed a group that purchased the property that winter. Spring saw construction of the new building with Pines contractors Bill Caton and George Corwin at the helm, opening just in time for the 1980 Fire Island summer season. On May 29, 2020, I participated in the Fire Island Pines Historical Preservation Society's Zoom gathering commemorating the 40th anniversary of the opening of the Pines Pavilion. These days, the word Pines has been dropped from the name, yet its legacy remains strong ever since its opening night in May of 1980. Soon after that Zoom event, I was notified they had had some issues with editing, and the beginning of the Zoom ended up on the proverbial cutting room floor, which also included my telling the story of the creation of the Pines Pavilion, the story from that historical summer of 1979. I was told at the time I should create and submit to them a retelling of that story, which I did, and they would then add my video to their website page for the Pavilion's 40th year commemoration. Since then, I launched this podcast, and I thought that this story is unique enough to be included as a standalone episode for the heartbeat of the dance floor. Not only because it's the story about how a group of friends came together for a common cause, but also deeply personal for me, as it was the springboard for my career as a lighting designer. Previously, I'd operated lighting at a number of New York City clubs. I also began learning the craft of being a lighting technician, working behind the scenes to install, maintain, and sometimes repair the lighting or control equipment. In November of 1980, a couple of the owners of the Pines Pavilion, Larry Lavornia and Jerry Arcaro, asked if I was interested in taking over the lighting and tech responsibilities for the upcoming summer season of 1981. 
There was one catch, though. All of the lighting and control equipment for the opening season had been rented and was returned at its end. I needed to design and install the system I was being asked to operate and maintain. Thankfully, I had the support and mentorship from two preeminent New York City lighting professionals, Mark Ackerman from The Saint and Chip Bullock from The Paradise Garage. They gave me the confidence to say yes and offered me guidance along the way so I could be successful as I designed and then installed a permanent lighting system, much of which would remain until the building burned in 2011. I believe it is important to know where we came from, to know how we've evolved to this place where we are today. And I'm honored to tell these stories, to have this platform only now possible with the technology of today. I hope they bring a smile to your face and perhaps enlighten your perception. I'm filled with gratitude as I recall how special it is to be able to recollect firsthand these stories, stories of events that I was there for and a part of, sharing so many afternoons and nights with my dear friends, fantasizing about what we would do if only we could. Friends who have long since passed away, friends who ultimately became the creators of the Pines Pavilion, and in 1980, fulfilling those fantasies we had during the summer of 1979. I hope you enjoy my story of the creation of the Pines Pavilion. Hello, my name is Marcia Stern, and I would like to share with you all the story of how the Pines Pavilion came to be. It was the summer of 1979, yes, that infamous summer from beach, when it became known that the Sandpiper would be closing its doors for a final time at the end of the season. The building was going up for sale. At the time, my best friend was Roy Thode, and I was privy to his inner circle, which consisted of two of what would ultimately be the six original owners that created the Pines Pavilion. Dr. Larry Lavornia was inspired by the idea that with the Sandpiper being put up for sale, we had a unique opportunity to create a party environment that was made by us. Larry and his husband, Scott Fasson, were best friends with Roy Thode, as were Harvey Einman and his husband, Jerry Arcaro, my gay family. I remember countless times that summer hanging out and discussing the what ifs of Larry's idea. Larry's dream, really. Sam Haddad and Jack Bruska became interested and before you knew it, Larry had formed a consortium of six Pines residents and homeowners who were in a position to make a serious offer to purchase the property. Those original six consisted of Dr. Larry Lavornia, businessman and manufacturer Jerry Arcaro, antiques dealer Sam Haddad, artist Jack Bruska, Wrangler Ranch's Steve Goodfriend, and the Count Charles de Rohan Chabot. I remember that winter hanging out at Roy's apartment with Harvey as we were anxiously awaiting a call from Jerry. He was in the keys with the others as they were closing the deal with Arden Catlin. Eventually the phone rang with Jerry on the other end saying, it's ours, we closed. And with that, plans could begin in earnest to create our new club. It was to be named Pines Pavilion. Bill Caton was chosen as the general contractor George Corwin, the electrical contractor. And by the way, George was Doreen Caton's father and a really great guy. 
I forgot the name of the guy who installed the sound system. He was from Long Island. The most memorable thing to me, though, was that he used Klipsch speakers. It was a very unique design of a speaker that fit exactly into the corners of the room. Tom Kazalka was chosen to design and install the lighting system. And up to that point, I think Tom was best known as being the lighting guy at the Cockring, which was a very popular night spot on Christopher and West Streets in the village. Tom was also a brilliant engineer. That summer, the lighting system Tom put in was a rental. And at the end of the season, everything had, all the fixtures had to come down and to be returned. And it was during the fall of 1980 that I was contracted and hired to design and purchase and permanently install a lighting system into the Pines Pavilion. But that's another story for another day. It is important to note that Roy, while being friends with the new owners, was a huge part of the planning process, a huge part of the discussions surrounding creating the Pines Pavilion. But he could never actually play there himself due to his commitments to Jimmy Mary and the Ice Palace. It was a fairly unanimous decision that winter that Alan Dodd would be the DJ to inaugurate the Pines Pavilion and was considered to be the first house DJ that opening summer. The sole purpose of forming a consortium of men able to purchase the Sandpiper was to have a Pines community member-based owned and operated venue, our club made by us, for us, and run by us. It was a mission statement, if you will. The decision was also made to include a restaurant. Some may remember the booths on the second floor with the gla big glass windows that were overlooking the dance floor. Yes, that was before they put that wonderful balcony inside and the restaurant was no longer. I still have this souvenir from the first restaurant. It was it is my favorite, one of my favorite frying pans for sure. Uh, Larry gave it to me as we were making way for Lenny Gal to come and install his Pines version of the ever popular Red Star Cafe from the West Village. Other forgotten details from the original building were the atrium with live trees in the staircase leading up to the second floor restaurant and the building wall facing the harbor that had round portal ship style windows throughout the length. In the inside, the bar was the length of the structure. And it was kind of cool because you could stand inside the structure, order your drink at the bar of the Pines Pavilion, looking out onto the harbor. It was, it was really lovely. And indeed, the original name was Pines Pavilion. I'm not sure exactly when, it wasn't until years later, and, and I don't know by whom that it was changed to be called just the pavilion. Thank you. Before I wrap this episode, I'd like to share with you some photographs. These particular pics are from my personal collection, my own cherished memorabilia dating back to my early years on Fire Island. To be clear, there are many photos on the internet from the Pines Pavilion, also later known as the pavilion. However, only a few exterior shots from the earliest years and no interior pics. I'm sure many are unaware that in the beginning, video projection was a big part of the overall dance floor design. Scott Fasson, whose husband was Larry Lavornia, was at the helm of all things video. 
Scott was a very talented artist whose work had recently expanded into this newly burgeoning art form of video. And I wonder if anyone remembers before the infamous chandeliers of John White's era, that there were these moving panels on the ceiling that were installed by Mark Ackerman of Saint fame. Unfortunately, I've never seen any photographs of either of these installations online. The first photograph I'd like to share is of Roy Thode, taken in his DJ booth at the Ice Palace in Cherry Grove, Fire Island. It was found inside his BPM Bible, which was given to me from his estate when he passed in 1982. Recently, the Bible was included in Brooklyn Museum's Studio 54 Night Magic exhibit, curated by Matthew Yokoboski. Its March opening, delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic, it finally did open in September of 2020. Earlier, I've mentioned Roy Thode's best friend, Harvey Einman, and his husband and founding partner, Jerry Arcaro. Here is a photo of them from perhaps as early as 1977 or 78. Jerry is on the left, and Harvey, shirtless, is on the right. The original logo, designed by partner Jack Brusca, a well-known artist of the day. And here is my well-worn and somewhat modified t-shirt from 1981. The logo is intact, as you can see. Alan Dodd, who was the inaugural DJ opening night in May of 1980. And here is a picture of me and my dear friend and mentor, Mark Ackerman, with photo credit going to Robbie Leslie. These next two Polaroids were taken by Bob Howard from maybe 1989 or 90, when I was doing a guest spot on lights with Robbie Leslie, who was on my left on the turntables. While many new controllers and effects had been added by then, the Silver Light Lab lighting controllers are from my original installation in 1981. I wish I had photos of my lighting design back in 1981. I wish I had many photos from those years, not only of the pavilion and its wonderful staircase atrium those first couple of seasons, but also of my friends, my pavilion family. Sadly, anyone I knew that did have photographs has long since passed, and I have no idea where any may be today. If by chance any of my listeners happen to have or knows anyone who might have access to any photos of the Pines Pavilion from the summer of 1980 or 81, please reach out to me through email at info at heartbeatofthedancefloor.com or please visit the website heartbeatofthedancefloor.com and make an entry in the guest book. I hope you've enjoyed this backstory as to how a beloved venue in Fire Island Pines evolved from a dream into a reality. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Heartbeat of the Dance Floor.